Hey, Foreclosure Fix family, and welcome to another episode of the Foreclosure Fix podcast, where our goal is to help 1 million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. I'm your host, DJ Alojo, and if the mission to help 1 million homeowners resonates with you, please do me a favor, like, subscribe, or check us out at foreclosurefix.com. Today, we are doing another homeowner spotlight episode, and my guest is someone who has bought millions and millions of dollars in distressed debt and has helped a ton of homeowners. But what's really important about this guest is that he has faced foreclosure too, so he knows exactly where you've been and what you're going through. Scott Carson, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, DJ. Honored to be here and honored to help your audience and the mission that you have to help in a million borrowers out there, homeowners facing it, because it, uh, not enough people are helping folks, so kudos. Hey, I appreciate you, and this community appreciates you as well. Um, do me a favor. Help our listeners understand how you and your company and what you do today interacts with people who are facing foreclosure. So for the last almost... I guess 17 years now, I've been known in the real estate investing community as the note guy. Uh, I'm one of those few individuals out there that goes out and actually buys distressed debt, distressed mortgages from banks and hedge funds, and uh, have been doing that for a long time, bought over a billion dollars in distressed debt. And our goal when we buy that as an institution or as a company, it's not to take the property back, actually. Our biggest goal most of the time is actually to work with the homeowners to keep them in their house. Instead of rehabbing properties, I like to rehab borrowers, if that makes sense. So we buy that debt from institutions and then we make our money by then reaching out to the homeowners. They listen, hey, what happened? You know, what country western song did you go through? Did grandma get run over by a reindeer? You know, that kind of stuff. Did your you know dog die? Did you get hit by whatever whatever it might be? It, it's okay. You're not doesn't make you're a bad person. But if you want to stay, let's figure something out that makes sense on a win-win basis to keep you in the house to help you avoid foreclosure and all the derogatory things that go, go along with that. So now you are in a situation where you are buying debt, you're helping homeowners, you're going through that process. But let's rewind a few years or maybe 20 years or so ago when you were actually facing foreclosure yourself. Kind of help us understand what happened in your life that puts you in that situation. Yeah, so go. This goes back to two thousand one, two thousand two. Uh, you know, I was uh, out of school, had a good job. I was actually making six figures, starting to make some money. We bought our first house back in the day with an eighty twenty mortgage, hundred percent financing, and we had really great credit. And our realtor's like, "Hey, you know, it's a great time to be an investor. You could probably buy a couple other uh, properties with not much out of pocket." And I was like, "That sounds good. Sure, let's do it." So we bought two more investment properties, 100% financing. So we had six mortgages, three first liens and three second liens. And we were immediately able to find renters to go into those investment properties. Well, fast forward about six months from the time we bought our first property, I got the pink slip. I walked in the office one day where I was working at and everybody was sent to the conference room and everybody was like, hey, you're all are laid off. We're closing this location down. I'm like, oh crap. I mean, that wasn't a good thing. We had a little bit of savings, but not much. You know, straight out of college, you start accumulating things. You don't even, you don't have a lot of savings. We didn't get, I didn't get a lot of uh, you know severance package or so. And then also a lot of people else got laid off too because my two tenants, both who were working at a computer company that rhymes with hell, you know, in Round Rock, both got the pink slip too within a week. And so we were like, uh, okay, and they were out of work and they were trying to find work. And Dell had just made a huge, you know. And there's a lot of people facing difficulties back in this time at that point. So 
I joked that we went from, you know, having starting to get some cash flow coming in to trying to make six mortgage payments on a private school teacher salary, you know, um, because that's what my ex-wife did at the time. She worked with autistic children, but didn't make a lot of money. But we had student loans. We had other things. We, you know, did have high interest rates on our mortgage. Well, everything's are high now, but they were very normal back then at 6%. And just trying to survive. I mean, literally, I can remember shaking, finding change in the cushions of the couch, hoping you have enough gas to get to work on a Friday and hope that the check comes in Friday afternoon for your paycheck. So you could actually put gas in the car, not run out of gas, pay for groceries. It was a very stressful time. I was doing whatever I could to survive. You know, I was delivering for FedEx home delivery packages, getting paid like a buck for every delivered package. I was starting to wait tables at night, two at Chili's, you know, give me your baby back, baby back, baby back ribs. You know what I mean? <laughs> Doing whatever I could just to, to make ends meet. And we, re I reached out to the lenders. We were fortunate enough to do a, uh, a modification on the primary residence and literally like two days before foreclosure. I remember getting the foreclosure notice and the phone starting to ring as people asking if I wanted me to save their house and all this other stuff. These, these investors are reaching out. We're starting to get inundated with postcards. My wife was all stressed out at the time. Like, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to, I'm like, we're going to find a way. We're find a way. When we were able to, Fortunate enough, get rid of the two investment properties to a couple investors, got those off our books. And like I said, modify the loan with a forbearance agreement literally 48 hours before the foreclosure auction here in, in Texas. And so, woo, it, it took a little while, about you know three and a half years of licking wounds and working to get our assets out of a sling to get back to where I, to the starting point. But that that experience, I think, has helped me become a better investor and a better uh, individual, because I empathize with people, you know, not just because you're facing foreclosure or struggling to make ends meet or put, you know, you have to make a decision between, you know, paying the power bill or paying your mortgage bill or paying for food for a month. There's a lot of difficult decisions and a lot of people are facing that. I think the default rate, mortgage default rate was just about 3.4% based on November's numbers. That comes out to roughly about, if you look at, there's about 82 million homes, give or take a little bit homes that have a mortgage on it, that's somewhere between about three and a half million people that are in default. You know, they're more than 90 days behind their mortgage. They're facing foreclosure. Not to mention that roughly about one out of every nine borrowers in the United States is at least 30 days behind. So if it's not on your mind, um, I mean, there, it's, it, I guarantee it is because people are like, what do I do? How do I get away with keeping my house? What do I, what kind of decisions I have to make? And that helps me empathize, you know, my team and myself when we're buying a distressed mortgage and a borrower hasn't paid in, you know, 120 days or up to six years. Now, some of it, I'm like, well, why haven't you paid it all in six years? You know, what's the situation? But most people we find, um, you know, they just had a hiccup and they weren't prepared for it. The, the existing lender wanted to bring all one year or two years of back payments to the table. And they just don't have that because if they had that, they'd have been paying all along. Absolutely understand what you mean there. I want to go back and unpack a couple of things you said when you were talking about your story. You mentioned that you kind of just got out ahead of your skis and everything went bad at one time, right? In a perfect world, that would have been great. You had two investment properties and if things went right, you look like a genius. <laughs> you know, you look like, oh man, you did all the right things, but things went bad all at the same time. And a lot of our listeners find themselves in that same situation where they did all the right things. They checked all the right boxes. They got the good job. But then, like you said, they got laid off or somebody got sick or something like that. Help our listeners understand how you kind of kept your mind 
in your sanity when all that was going on, man? You know, uh, I, I wouldn't say I kept my mind, <laughs> you know, uh, but, be, you know, like I have a, a great work, work ethic. And that's the thing that came to my mind. Like if I'll work my way through this, I'll do whatever I need to do. I mean, I was making about six figures, but that didn't mean I was too good enough that I couldn't get up at 6 a.m. and go to FedEx and deliver packages or go do, go donate plasma for 25 bucks during my lunch break, you know, back to like the college aspect. You, you smile, but you start to do whatever you can. And it's different now in today's world because we do have such a gig society, people driving for Uber or DoorDash or uh, selling stuff off of Amazon. We didn't have those things for the most part back 20 years ago. So it was a whole different animal. And I was just trying to do whatever I could to get back on track and reaching out to friends and, and stuff. Who's got a job and, you know, you know, and that's, I think that's the biggest thing is people, social media, everybody likes to pretend everything's hunky dory, right? Everything's great and Instagram glamorous. And it's not always that case. You have ups and downs and everybody deals with it. But I think we get so embarrassed because so many people have the idea of keeping up with the Joneses aspect of things. I got to drive the new car. I, I was watching uh, a speaker the other day who was, who was talking to a group of high net worth. I don't think it was realtors or mortgage brokers. And he was giving me some stats that like the average car payment these days is like a thousand bucks, which is just stupid. I mean, I've got my truck. It's paid off. It's been paid off for like eight years. I got 70,000 miles. Is that Dodge, you know, Dodge Ram is in good condition, but I've had a mortgage payment for or a truck payment for six years because we take care of things. Um, I'm not uh, one book that really stood out to me more than anything else, DJ. And that's what I think what helped me get through that is I was reading a lot of stuff. I was really focused on my spare time. There wasn't a lot of podcasts back then, 20 years ago, but there were books like The Millionaire Next Door or Guerrilla Marketing was another one or The E Myth with some other things I started reading a rich dad, poor dad. I was like, man, I am a, I'm a poor man here. And so the rich dad, poor dad side, but those things helped me with my mental aspect of like, Hey, I got to figure a way out. You know, um, I, in worst case we could have done, we could have moved in with some friends. We could have done something else. We could have rented, gone back and rented and maybe not rented an apartment because our credit would have been shot by then, but we could have moved in with some friends who offered that up. We could have reached out to family members and helped up. And a lot of people won't do that. They're too prideful to admit that they've screwed up or that everything isn't hunky-dory. And I'm like, you've got to, at some point, just to say, hey, I'm overwhelmed. I need some help um, to help me get it. Because a lot of folks, especially when you're around the holidays like we are and stuff like that, it's a sad time of year for a lot of people. And that's why you see you know, um, self-harm, yeah. mental health, people really struggle with it. And, you, and the best thing I can tell you to do is don't be too proud to reach out to your friend because your friends may think one thing, but they don't want you to struggle. If you can, you know, many people will reach out and help. I've had friends that reached out to me that were facing their, losing their house, like what to do. I'm like, well, first of all, let's help you out with that. Let's figure something out. What can you do to either increase income or decrease expenses to get back on track to help out? And the most important thing I can tell you right now that helped me is I communicated with my lender immediately when things started to go south. Hey, I just got laid off from my job and we're working through this. Oh my gosh, the, my tenants just got laid off from their job and I was laid off from my job. And the more you can communicate with the bank or your lenders on stuff, the more lenient they're going to be and more willing to give you a little bit of time. You said a couple of things that I just want to recap for our listeners, just so they can really understand. You said one, your mindset, right? By filling your mind with 
and renewing your mind with good things and saying, hey, you're here now, but just because you may be in a bad spot does not mean you're going to be there forever. And getting your mind ready for what's next, right, has positioned you now to be in a position that you were. Like the things you were doing 20 years ago now allow you to be where you are today, right? The other thing you talk about is work ethic, right, is that without that work ethic and saying, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to work as many jobs as it takes or I'm going to keep looking for a job so I get a better job. That work ethic was saying that I'm going to get out of this, whether it's a dollar at a time, a nickel at a time, a quarter at a time, you're going to get out of this. And the last piece you said was the worst case scenario understanding what the worst case scenario is. And for you, you said, hey, you may be on a friend's couch and that was your worst case scenario. And you were okay with that, but you did not want that to happen. And I think what happens for a lot of homeowners when they're facing foreclosure, they have like this alternate reality where they're like, oh, a bag of money is going to drop on my front porch and it's going to pay all my bills. Or this lender who is sending me documents every week is going to just mysteriously go away and stop communicating with me, right? One of the things that I want to point out is how long you said it took you to get to a better spot. Mm. I would say, realistically, it took probably about six months. Six months, because I remember waiting tables and doing all these things throughout the holidays. It was at least six months. And then I got uh, took a job um, with a, a chip company here in Austin. A friend of mine that knew we were kind of struggling got me a job and I started working full-time for this chip company at, at almost what I was making beforehand. And then that was good, but it also took probably about 90 days of that conversion to get back on track. But you think about it, you know, that's one thing. Hey, 12 months, it can seem life, like a lifetime when you're in the midst of things. But in the overall picture, it's just like that. I mean, you think of how fast this last year has gone by, but when you're in the, the, the thick of the shit, you're in the weeds, <laughs> all right? It does feel like it drags on in those days. There were some long days, you know? Um, but you just have to, and then you're going to have some hard conversations too because, you know, finance is one of the most most uh, devastating things to relationships too. You know, it's a stressful thing when you're trying to do things and especially embarrassing if you're going and trying to pay for something, your credit card is getting declined. You're like, what the heck happened? You know, that's, that's the thing. You just have to communicate more importantly, more so than anything else with your spouse and what's going on. And you gotta have some hard lessons. Like we don't need to, I'll, I'll give you a funny story, DJ. You'll probably laugh at this. We've got a, a student of ours who's bought a, a bottom mortgage and is trying to modify this borrower. And this borrower hasn't paid in like three years. And so to get an idea, she asked the borrower to send over a copy of their bank statements and their finances. Well, this borrower has got like a grand a month going out in like Disney plus and like uh, Hulu and Paramount and Amazon and OnlyFans too. And I'm like, come on. I'm, and she's like, you can, first of all, cut a lot of these subscription services. Not my OnlyFans. I need you that. Know, like, I mean, this is, you're not making money on OnlyFans. This is a different account we need to take. <laughs> but that's the thing is, we, we a lot, it's like the death of a, a million paper cuts in a lot of cases. We have so much stuff going out and people sometimes don't, well, I got to have it. Well, no, you really don't need to have that. You know, we got, you have to look at your, you know, what your expenses are and where you're hemorrhaging money. You don't need to stop at Starbucks every day, you know, get you some uh, $10 coffee maker and make you some fresh coffee at the house. So it's not so a thing, but you just got to communicate with your family and especially your loved ones. Hey, we're going through a bit of time here. You know, we're working with a bank. We're trying to find a solution. And in some cases too, if you're in way over your head, it might make more sense for you just to say, here, bank, take it. I'm going to deed the property back to you. And that's what 
some folks don't realize that you can do. You literally, if there's no way to heck to get out of jail and you don't want to hold that property and do it, you can go literally down to the county. You go get your deed, deed the property back to the bank over, you know, send in the loan file with a copy of the deed loan with the keys on it and send it back to the bank. Say, here, take it. Don't foreclose. You can have the property back and it's all yours and walk away from it. That's an option that most people don't realize. Scott, and, and that's one of the strategies uh, we outline in, in in my new book called The Foreclosure Fix, uh, 12 Proven Steps to Beat the Bank, Escape Foreclosure, and Turn Your Property into a Profitable Asset. Now, keep in mind, though, in addition to just giving them the keys, you want to try to get a cash or keys with that. So just keep that in mind. That is a that is a strategy. But Scott's absolutely right. If you are in over your head and it's just too much and you don't have any equity or whatever else might be the case, you definitely can deed it back. Scott, you have rebounded in a major way and your life looks a lot different than it did 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So before we talk about what you're doing now in more detail, tell our listeners how that foreclosure situation shapes your decision making now. How has wow. that changed the way in which you do business, way in which you live your life um, for the better? So when we when I when I'm talking with somebody, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. When I it, it, talking with a, a potential borrower of ours, it's always like, "What's going on? Just tell me." And I tell them, "I'm like, listen, I get what you're feeling. I'm I'm sure you're tired of the that's the phone calls from the bank coming on on a daily basis, the certified letters from the postman, the notices on your door. I get that. Let's talk. You know, I've been through that years ago. Let's talk about what you're facing and let's see." And, a lot of times that alleviates pressure. You know, they were literally realizing that they're talking to somebody who actually does care versus just some hourly employee at the bank, you know, who doesn't care. They're just another number on the thing. So th that that takes, I take that into a lot of fact that people, everybody's going through a rough time at some sort. Don't everybody, you never know what kind of cross people are bearing. So have a little grace. Realize if somebody's having a rough day or is, is lashing out, there's probably other things going on underneath. As we say in Texas here, bless his or her heart. It's not meant to be a bad thing. It's like, what's going on with him? We we, we probably don't know. And it's okay. You know, what's going on? I'll, I'll give you a great example. I was, um, I was, I was uh, in HEB, our grocery store here. Here, everything's better. HEB is our grocery store here. And this happened about a month and a half ago. Ladies checking out one from me. We were two kids and she's got, um, uh, a food stamp card wink or something like that. And she's and swiped it and then had some cash. Well, it didn't go through and the money hadn't got there or the child support and showed up. She's like, Oh my gosh. And I got to put all this back. I was like, no, no, no. And she didn't have a lot of crazy stuff on there. There wasn't like a pack of cigarettes and a 12 pack of beer or anything like that. It'll all like the staples were three kids. I was like, no, no, go ahead. Just, you know, here's my card and me just swipe it. You're good. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't take it. I was like, look, everybody needs a little help every once in a while. It's a okay. You know, so I'm I'm more willing to do that uh, because I've you know we've been there and I it's embarrassing you know to do that. Nobody likes that, and I'm like, no, no, we've all been there. It's a okay. Let's help you out of that situation because Steph likes to say, my spouse is that we help out a lot of people. Not a lot of people are there to help out. I'm like, listen, we all go through trials and tribulations, and God puts us through bad things so that we do have a thicker skin, so that when we do come out the other side. We can exponentially help other people that are facing difficult situations, and so that's 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 always been my mindset. From that is like like I've been there, I've got the scars, the T-shirt. It doesn't make you a bad person, you know. Everybody goes through financial hiccups, and and bad things just happen to good people all the time out here, and it's happening more so now than ever before. I think too, DJ. I couldn't agree with you more. I uh, I I'm always humbled and reminded when I talk to homeowners that 
you know, you could do everything right for most of your life and go through very minimal trials. And then one thing can change everything for you mm -hmm. and your whole life begins to spiral. And it could be something that you didn't even do. Um, and I am very cognizant of that fact. And I have seen it over and over in the lives of people who we have come across, people who interact with our content, that it's stuff they didn't even do. It wasn't even that they mismanaged their money. Somebody died. They got divorced, whatever may be the case. All these life things where two weeks ago they were at the mountaintop and now they are in the valley. Mm -hmm. And every time I hear stories like yours, I hear stories of other people. It's a reminder of being gracious, being kind and being a human and showing compassion is so important in my work as a realtor, my work as a note investor, but just me as a person. And, and Scott, when you think about what you do now, you're, you're helping people, you're doing all this stuff. How, how does that come through in your business model and the way you approach your business today? So it comes through because we're buying debt and our, our number one thing with my team and with the servicing companies and stuff like that, our vendors, when we're buying distressed debt and it's, it's an occupied asset, it's like, listen, we're willing to keep people in their houses if they'll just meet us halfway. You know, what's the situation? And a lot of times we'll know ahead of time because we're, we're getting these files from banks and, and hedge funds and stuff like that on these mortgages. And I'll see like hardship letters, people who have written into the bank say, hey, well, this is what we're going through. This is how we're struggling. You know, this is what we can afford. And if those numbers, if they're literally telling the existing bank what they can afford, the bank doesn't jump on it. And I look at them like, this number makes sense. Why not help somebody stay in their house? You know, not why not work with them? You know, that's that's the biggest thing. Maybe I don't need to make a huge ROI. Don't be wrong. We do well. But it's like, well, if I can make a few points less, but somebody's in the house immediately and it's a win-win, that's, that, that's the biggest thing, I think, DJ, is just like, let's, I'm empathetic. Let's help help somebody stay in their house because that's why I don't want to own real estate. And your bank really doesn't want to own your house, whether you believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen. They don't want to own the more the house. It's a non-performing asset to them. But sometimes you got to get creative. Like I've had borrowers that came to me and we say, "Hey, could you haven't paid in a while? Can you bring something to the table? Can you bring this amount? No. Well, could you bring half of that? Well, yes. Okay, great. Let's just you know be honest and and we like to get creative. I mean, I've done things where we've just um, you know we dropped the borrowers. Uh, mortgage interest rate from like 8% down to zero, you know, um, or another, we bought this uh, one mortgage. It was in, in a pool. It was in Cleveland, Ohio. The lady was a single mom of like three or four kids. The house is only worth like 20 grand. I mean, it wasn't the greatest of house, but it was their castle. You know what I mean? And we didn't pay much for it. And I was like, listen, let's just, we didn't, we're not into this for much. Let's just forgive the debt. You know, we're making enough money on these other deals. We're just going to forgive this debt and let her walk, and, and we're not going to send her a 1099 where she gets taxed on. We're just going to do the right thing and let her stay in the house and and forgive her debt. You know, and, and I can remember that phone call to that borrower and her crying on the other line, me saying, listen, we're just going to forgive you. Merry Christmas. Your debt's erased. You know, you're forgiven. What you do with it is up to you, but you're you're forgiven. You don't have to worry about the bank foreclosing. You just got to worry about taxes and then and taking care of the property. And those are, you know, those are great things. You know, that's the things I get more excited about. I mean, we have, of course, we have people that shouldn't be in a house that are just dragging it out and fighting and doing everything they can uh, to, to drag something out. And they're, they're no intention of pain. You'll have that, you know, about 25% of the deals that we deal with are, are people that just want to drag it out. 
And that's, you know, it is, a, but most of the time, if you really have a come to Jesus meeting and you're honest with yourself, do we need to be in this big house or can we downsize a little bit? You know, I've, uh, I got some friends out there, like a, a buddy of mine, Chris Prefontaine, who's out of, out of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. He talks about how when he went through the crash in 2008, he went from a 4,000 square foot house to a, a one bedroom, one bath, like 400 square foot bedroom that he was renting. Wow. Yeah, he lost it all because the bank foreclosed on everything. And I've heard so many horror stories of people that had everything bank financed and the banks called stuff due and foreclosed. You always got to prepare for the unknown. That's that's the biggest thing. You got to be putting money away in an emergency fund or putting something away. You know, twenty bucks is better than nothing. A hundred bucks is better than is better than nothing. You know, but start looking, and we get so. Um, so many of our expenses get eaten up with little things, you know, review. I got to give Steph my better half a, a, a big, because every month she's like looking at her accounts. Okay. What is this thing that's going out for $49 a month? Or what's this for 149? And was this valuable? Are you using this? Is it, are you getting your money's worth or do we need to do that? And so it's a good, good yin yang. And it's good to have somebody that's there to help you hold you accountable and overcheck things for the most part. Well, that brings me to my favorite part of the podcast, which is called our bow tie round. It's when our listeners get to tie one on with our guest, Scott Carson, right? Um, the B in bow tie stands for your best advice for somebody facing foreclosure. The O stands for one thing you are grateful for right now. And the W stands for your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story. Um, so what's your best advice for somebody facing foreclosure? Uh, first and foremost, really uh, be honest with yourself. That's the, that's the most important thing. Be honest, be honest with the bank, be honest with your family. If you lie about this stuff, it, it, trust me, it comes back as tenfold. But if you're honest and upfront with your friends, your spouses, your family, they'll be much more empathetic and be supportive versus them getting a knock on the door. They're about to be evicted. Nobody likes to get that. So be honest would be my best advice. First and foremost. Could not agree more. One thing you are grateful for right now. One thing I'm grateful for right now, I would tell you my health. <laughs> worked hard at that. I mean, especially in this last year, uh, lost about 60 pounds, went from having blood sugar, full blown uh, diabetes down to below where it's not that anymore. And I think about a lot of folks out there, people I deal with it where they're suddenly get sick or their health is a big issue. They get laid off or can't work. And it leads to a lot of, uh, mortgage defaults, especially you saw what happened with COVID and, and, and things like that. So very, you know, that's been a big priority this last year. And uh, that's one thing I'm definitely excited about. I want to be around a long time and uh, keep making money and, and doing a lot of good things out there for the community out there for a long time. So that's one thing I'm definitely grateful for this past year. Well, kudos to you for doing that. I know how hard it is to uh, to lose weight and uh, to lose 60 pounds in a year, man. That's That takes commitment and dedication. So congratulations. Thank you. Your wildest or most interesting foreclosure-related story? Ooh, I got a lot of them. I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you a lot of them. Um, I'll tell you a, a really good story. Kind of, it kind of lines in with a little bit. We do. So we we uh, we got this list of uh, mortgage notes, defaulted notes, in from a bank, and there was one in there from a borrower named Sheila and her husband William. They lived in this house in South Beloit, Illinois, for over like eighteen years. They'd raised their, their three daughters, and they had. Uh, it wasn't the most expensive house. It wasn't the biggest house, but it was their castle. You know what I mean? And they had uh, pulled a little equity out back when they could prior to two thousand and four. And the house was worth about 60 at that time. So they pulled a little bit of equity. Well, suddenly the market crashed as we saw it happen. And they also, due to the crash and some other things, William had actually had a heart attack and was out of work for about two and a half years getting healthy. And when we got this deal sent to us, 
we could see that Sheila had been sending in like workout forms, trying to modify her home for over four years. And there was hardship letters and financials and bank statements and tax returns all sent in. And then her mortgage had been sold like four or five times along the way before it ended up on my desk. And I'm seeing this and I'm seeing what the bank that uh, is trying to sell his mortgage to us is. I'm like, oh, well, this makes sense. If, if I can get her to do this. So we bought the, the mortgage note uh, for like 20 cents of what she owed. Okay. She hadn't paid in over four years, but we pick up the phone and I called her. I remember calling her and say, hi, you know, hi, Sheila. My name is Scott. I'm now your lender. And she's like, oh, it's been sold again. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It, today's a good day. Today's a really good day. And I said, I said, Sheila, I see your hardship letters, everything like that. I see what you owe on this and see what's going on. First of all, is your husband healthy? Is he back to work? And she's like, oh, yes, he's back to work now. I said, okay, that's great. Could you guys start making your existing, I think it was like $400 a month payment. She was like, yeah. I said, I don't want you to bring four years of payments to the table. She goes, well, that's what everybody else wanted us to do was bringing you know, four years. We didn't have four-year mortgage. I was like, I get it. I said, could you bring like five grand to the table? She's like, no. I said, okay. And the reason we asked for them, to, our borrowers to bring some skin to the game is it's they're much more likely to stay in and on time. Okay. I said, well, I said, Sheila, could you bring 2,500 to the table? She's like, yes, I could do that. I said, okay, great. I'll have you do that. That's your investment staying in the house. I said, could you bring a little, pay a little bit extra each month, like maybe a hundred to $200 a month extra to get caught up. And she's like, yes. I was like, okay, if you do those things, Sheila, start paying your existing payment, bring pay a little bit extra each month and bring a little bit to my, the attorney's office. This is what I'm willing to do for you. After you do this for 12 months, what we'll do, Sheila, is we'll reevaluate your house and your house, whatever the value of it is then, anything that you owe above that, we're going to forgive. So in 12 months, when we pull value in your house, and let's say it's only worth 40, but you owe 60, we're going to give you, take 20 grand off what you owe, just like that. We're also going to reduce your interest rate, which was like 8.5% of the time. We'll reduce that from 8.5% down to 0%. And But we're going to keep your $450 payment the same so that if you keep paying that on time, you'll now have the house paid off instead of in 33 years, You'll have it paid off in exactly six years. And she was just blown away. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, yes. She got her husband on the phone. We were doing a three-way call. Like, this is exactly what's going to happen. If you go see the attorney, uh, my attorney who's like uh, in your area, I think it was like a, an hour drive. I said, go see him. He'll have everything there for you to sign off. Make sure you bring a cashier's check. We'll go from there. Well, they did. And according to the attorney, they both broke down crying at the table with the attorney because they couldn't believe it. And then Anytime she was going to be like a day late in the payment, I'd get a phone call. I was like, I'm like, Sheila, you're good. Just send it to the servicing company. Well, eight months goes by. It comes through the holidays. And Chris Bikes say they've been on time, completely on time. No problems. I get a a, 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 a Christmas card to me. I'm like, who's this from? And I open it up and it's a family photo of them. Sheila, William, their three daughters and their new grandbaby. All right. Well, they had named the grandbaby Carson after me. And uh, it always it gets my hair standing up on the back of my neck right now. You never know who you're helping. And of course, that's a few years ago. They've paid off their mortgage. They paid it off before. They kept paying a little bit extra each month. It was a win for me. We made almost all our money back the first year and was able to do a really good thing for them. Now, I will always do that for our borrowers. But this was a situation that just made sense to do and and create truly a win-win. But that's always a story I like to tell because you there's – What's most what you have realized is that there's people on the other end. And sometimes, you know, like I said, bad things happen to good people, financial hiccups, money hiccups, whatever it might be. Um, if you can help somebody out, you really, you know, 
you get back tenfold what you put put in, and that's that's a big thing. We've received a, a lot of amazing things happen to us over years. Just being in the right spot in the right place, and you never know who you're going to affect and who how that's going to pat. You know, karma is a good thing these days, as I like to say. And you make your own karma. Scott, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I appreciate you being transparent and sharing your story, your story and your journey, and how you were in the valley and and now you are at the mountaintop or at least on the ascent to the mountaintop. Right. <laughs> and uh, let our listeners know how to follow you, how to stay in contact and, and, and see your journey. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you this one thing first though, if you're listening to this episode with DJ, DJ's doing an amazing job before you worry about following me, you need to click that subscribe button and go on over and leave DJ a five-star review right now. Do that. That's the most important thing you do because we as podcasters, we love hearing from our audience. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review. Now, once you've done that, you can follow me by going to WeCloseNotes.com. That's my main website, WeCloseNotes.com. You'll find what we do there, our podcast, The Note Closer Show, which is the uh, number one podcast for note investors out there. And uh, we're just here to help in any way. And as if you're facing issues you want somebody to talk to, you can always uh, reach out to me at TalkWithScottCarson.com. I'm glad to answer any questions. No, I'm not going to call the bank to try to buy your note. It just doesn't work that way. But I'm glad to help give you some ideas, um, assistance on, on different things that you could do to help you stay in your house. With that, that ends our episode. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. If the mission to help 1 million homeowners resonates with you, do me a favor. Like Scott said, smash that like button, leave a five-star rating, check us out on all platforms, including YouTube, and check out the new book, The Foreclosure Fix. It is coming out soon. Sign up to get alerts. It's going to be on every platform. So I appreciate you. I love you. And thank you so much for listening. God bless you. The views and opinions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. If you have a specific legal question, we highly recommend you contact a qualified legal professional.